This is the How'd You Get Into That Podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 67. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Hope you're doing well today. We are wrapping up 2015, getting ready to... No, no, no. I got that wrong. I should edit that out, but let's leave it in. We're wrapping up 2014, I believe, unless you're listening to this way into the future. We're wrapping up 2014, getting ready for 2015. I think that sounds more accurate. And we got a great episode for you today. Excited to share with you a great story. This is actually one of my favorite stories of what we've heard so far on the podcast. And, you know, 60-some episodes here. This is a good one, so excited to share with you. We've got Kevin Lavelle that's joining us today. Kevin runs a clothing manufacturer for men, a clothing company called Mizzen and Main uh, that you can check out at mizzenandmain.com, M-I-Z-Z-E-N, and spelled out Main, M-A-I-N.com, mizzenandmain.com. And this is a great story about how he saw a need, sat on it for a little while, pondered it, wrestled it, and then he did something with it and has built a really cool company now that sounds like a really cool shirt, actually. So I'm excited to share that Kevin's story with you today. So let's get into it. Here's my story of Kevin Lavelle and his journey into uh, Mizzen and Maine. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by Kevin Lavelle, who runs Mizzen and Main, which is a men's clothing manufacturer and, and just company that is really, they, they make guys look sharp. They make guys like me who don't look sharp actually look sharp. So, Kevin, what is up, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, Grant. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Good to have you here, man. And for real, you, it looks like you guys make some really, really cool and just sharp looking stuff for guys. So, you know, I gave a, a little snapshot overview, but tell us a little bit more about your business. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. So the idea from the very beginning was to bring advanced performance fabrics that everyone knows and loves in the athletic world to the traditional menswear world. So not much has changed from the fabrics and construction in traditional menswear in a very long time. And we wanted to bring those innovative fabrics, moisture wicking, wrinkle free, no ironing, no dry cleaning, four way stretch, breathable, all of those great attributes that we know and love, but bring that to traditional menswear. So indistinguishable in appearance from a traditional men's dress shirt. That's what we started with was dress shirts. And we've since expanded from there. But to also build the next great American brand, everything we do is American made and something we're proud of and hope to be able to inspire others to be aware of what they're purchasing and where they're purchasing it from. And we started with dress shirts. We moved into Henley's, denim, blazers. We're moving into pants and a couple other areas as we get into 2015. Nice. So everything's made, though, from stretchable, breathable types of materials and fabrics. Yeah, absolutely. Our denim is more of a traditional selvage denim with stretch. It's not moisture wicking because when you do that, you get into almost jegging appearances. But other than our denim, everything is that moisture wicking kind of four-way stretch, breathable fabric. And so you're not big on jeggings for men? <laughs> Not at this point. You know, I think there's some people I keep hearing about uh, dress pants, sweatpants, and hey, to each their own. That's not our approach. You got to draw the line somewhere. Uh, we all do somewhere. Yes, sir. <laughs> so how long have you guys been in business? Well, I started in July of 2012 and been at it ever since. It's been a great ride. We have some amazing customers. We've got a great team. We've got eight people based here in Dallas. And it's been a great ride, as I said, the last couple of years. Started with two dress shirts just online. And now we've sold to about 15, 20 countries abroad, every state in the country. We've got about 40, 50 wholesale accounts around the country as well, and then our own online presence. Where's most of your business done? Is it mostly done online through your own site, or is it done through individual stores? 
So we sell through our own website, mizzenandmain.com, but then we also sell through wholesale accounts. And so we are in Saks Fifth Avenue, we're in Bloomingdale's, and then a bunch of specialty stores kind of around the country. And that has enabled us to sort of get in front of some really great customers and you know, menswear boutiques around the country, they know their customers, customers trust them for their advice and what should we look to and how do we pair things together and what's new and not worth trying, what's new and worth trying. And so our wholesale boutiques around the country are a great partner for us to have and we're privileged to be able to work with them. Interesting. Very, very fascinating. All right. I'm interested to get into this story. So let's backtrack a little bit. What is your history with fashion? Where does that interest come from? So I will admit I did not start this from a fashion background, from an insider's perspective. And I think that's largely the reason I've been able to take this as far as I have, because every industry insider and expert has said and has told me directly and thought to themselves, you know, that would never work. And those are ideas that I love to try and pursue. So everyone, you know, has the approach that unless it's Egyptian or Italian cotton and made by the finest, you know, menswear manufacturers in Italy that people in the industry don't want it. And we just took it as an approach that we know what guys like and we know what they want and just went about it our own way. And even though the quote's attributed to Henry Ford, I know it's not actually from him, but that old phrase, if I'd asked customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Right. And you know, we think about that along the way. We could have asked customers, hey, what do you want in your dress shirt? Not that many people even thought about the concept of performance fabric dress shirts. And so taking it from an outsider's perspective, I talked to a bunch of friends, talked to a bunch of industry insiders about what makes a shirt good, what makes a shirt bad, what are the design components that we need, and spent about a year in product development before we first launched. It was about six months before our first prototype, and then from there we needed to continue to expand it. It was pretty brutal trying to find manufacturers. Most clothing manufacturers and fabric manufacturers, if they even have a website, they have not heard of SEO. They have not heard of advertising. <laughs> and so finding them was, was quite a task. But just stayed at it, leaned on people where I could and read publications and asked people from other areas of the industry, while at the same time being a little bit worried that someone might take my idea. So I had to tread a fine line. But after six months, we had that first prototype, and then we kind of grew from there. And the approach is classic staples style that you'll be okay looking back 10 years from now and think I could still wear that today. I don't want to be trendy. I don't want to do things that you know are going to come in and out. I think some of the menswear trends have just gone off the deep end. I joke that it's not going to be long before people have studs on their collars. <laughs> the amount of colors and patterns that are out there are just crazy to each their own, as I said. But we want to go with simple staples that make guys look great, they feel great. Because of the four-way stretch, it fits unlike anything else out there. So one of our biggest early demographics has been athletes. We've been in a bunch of Major League Baseball locker rooms, NFL locker rooms, and we're just starting to get into the NBA because these guys know and love the fabric and, and they can't right. find anything that fits off the rack. And because of our stretch, one size shirt can actually fit a couple different size guys. Interesting. Gotcha. So I assume whenever you're kind of getting started on this, because you're saying it's it's a familiar thing, it's a shirt that everybody's got, but it's just a totally different type of fabric and a totally different type of creating it, I guess. So it sounds like in some ways you're building a better mousetrap. You know, that's the good way of approaching it. I want someone to look at it on a rack and not know the difference between our shirt and a traditional shirt, but when they feel it, it's something magical. And then obviously when they wear it, that's a totally different experience. At one of the trade shows that we were at working on building our wholesale accounts, I jokingly said we should have a sign that says, uh, reach out and touch me or something like that. <laughs> we went back and forth on it. We had a very beautiful wooden sign to be very kind of austere and official that said, touch me, seriously. <laughs> and everyone walked by and started grabbing the shirt. It was, oh my God, wow, this is fantastic. And, you know, two and a half years in, even some of the industry insiders who initially told us we were absolutely crazy 
They see that we're still here. They see that we're growing and they'll say, you know, look, it's not for me. I'll never wear it. But I definitely see that this is something that other people could appreciate. And so that better mousetrap is starting to take hold. Yeah. Interesting stuff. What were you doing before you got into the fashion and clothing? I actually got an engineering degree and then worked for a management consulting firm for two years for a year in the Middle East based out of Dubai and then for a year around the US and then worked for an energy venture capital group here in Dallas, Texas. Sounds glamorous. Oh my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it's also brutal work. I mean, both those industries have somewhat of a reputation for just burnout. And is that kind of what you experienced? It was a great learning experience for me. I think out of college when I didn't really know what I wanted to do, I couldn't have picked a better first step than management consulting because it just trained me how to think. It trained me how to approach problems. It trained me how to look at problems that companies have been dealing with for two, five, ten years and never address because ah, just this is the way we've always done it. And so doing it differently in that way, I think, set me up to be able to do what I'm doing now. And then from switching over into the venture capital world, again, I was always looking at other people's problems and trying to help other people rather than doing it myself. And so getting several years studying the way other people do things well and mistakes that other people made put me in a great position to be able to take off running when I started my own company. Yeah. So whenever you're working for those other companies and you're doing you know, the management consulting stuff, are you feeling like this is what you want to do long term or is this just buying you time to figure out what it is that you really want to do? Where's your head at at that point? Where I stand today with this company is I want this to be the last thing that I ever do. I want to build a great American company and I am not the type of person who just wants to start this and sell it and then go do something again. I'll admit I'm not sure if I have another great idea up my sleeve and I'm pretty proud of this one. And we've got something that has the chance to change an industry and so far we're doing that. And so long term, whether we remain independent or eventually partner up, we have some great relationships with some very established companies around the U.S., that we eventually could do some form of partnership with because it's just not something they want to do directly or we could remain independent and keep growing. Either of those is a great option for me, but my goal is for this to be the last thing that I ever do. Gotcha. So whenever you are working with the management consultant companies, you're starting to kind of wrap that up and you're starting to figure out what the next step is. Do you have any idea what the next step is or where do you go from there? In terms of starting the Mizzen in Maine? Yep. Did you do anything in between? Yeah. So when I left the management consulting firm, sorry for the confusion there. When I left that firm, I ended up moving over to this venture capital group. And that was a step for me working for the management consulting firm. Again, tremendous experience, but I would make all these recommendations and then we would leave and I wouldn't see them through and I wouldn't have any hand in actually improving the company and implementing our recommendations, which I always believed were truly helpful. And so I moved over to this VC group because I had a chance to be a part of something. And we'd go look at things and invest in them and help build these companies. And after doing that for a couple of years, I don't have that chemical engineering background or the hardcore engineering side of things. So from the energy investment perspective, it was never going to be my idea. It was never going to be my company. And so I knew that I wanted to do something on my own after spending a couple of years working for other people. It wasn't something some people grow up knowing, ah, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to start my own company. That was not me. I didn't want to start my own company. But after working for a few years, I said, this is what I need to do. And so I spent the last, just about the last year of my time working for this VC kind of playing around on the side. You know, it wasn't a huge distraction from my day job. I would just make some calls during lunch and I would spend some time on Google and on the weekends, you know, play with fabrics and see what I could do. And then once it started to become a distraction from my day job, I went and actually talked with my employers and said, look, 
I love being here. I love all of you, but I need to go pursue this. This is a dream that I really believe I can bring to reality. And they all kind of laughed and scratched their head because usually people, when they leave the firm, they go start their own energy investment group or right. you know something in that industry. And I said, I'm going to start a men's clothing company. They kind of <laughs> chuckled at first, but then said, hey, that's fantastic. Let's work on a way to wrap up your time here appropriately and effectively. And we wish you nothing but the best. And they have been tremendously supportive. That's not always the case. I know that. Yeah, for sure. Interesting stuff there. So, okay, talk us through like, when do you actually become fascinated in the clothing side of it, of combining these two worlds to the point where it starts to kind of take over your brain at work? I had the idea when I was working in Washington, D.C. as a summer intern in college, and I watched a guy run into a building soaked in sweat. And around that time, performance polos on the golf course really started to become more popular and almost accepted. Whereas at first, much like our shirts, industry people and professionals in the golf world thought it was almost unacceptable to wear that type of athletic material in a polo. Right. After a few years, it was like, wow, you're crazy if you don't. And so I thought, why not do this? But at the time, I was 19 years old. What did I know about design, manufacturing? I didn't want to start my own company. And this idea just stuck with me year after year. And I kept thinking, man, someone's going to do this. Or I would think, ah, if it was such a good idea, someone would have done it already. But that wasn't happening. And so I decided I got to give this a shot. So I really dug in and spent a lot of time doing research, figuring out how this could work and finding the raw fabric to learning how to sew to making that first prototype. All of those pieces of the puzzle needed to happen before I could say, all right, I'm ready to go start this company. So you have this first kind of epiphany when you're, you said you're 19 doing the internship in DC? Yes. So you're 19. How many years later, how long was that period of where you're still just kind of stewing it in your head before you leave the VC company? Yeah. So I was 26 when I started Mizzen in Maine and it had been about a year before I started it that I started working on it. So I was 25. So it was, it was six years before I said, all right, let's actually give this a shot. So, okay, uh, here's what I'm wondering. If I'm someone that's listening to this who may be in a similar spot, you've got six years you're stewing on something that you're like, man, I could do this. I could not. could work. It may be. It may fail. I mean, there's a million reasons why you couldn't or shouldn't do it. So what was it that finally like tipped that first domino, like finally going into the bosses? And even though they may laugh at you at the time, being like, I have to give this a shot. Like I'm going to be kicking myself if I don't actually give this. And it may flop. It may be a complete failure, but I have to at least try this. So what was it that got you to that point where you felt like I got to give this a shot? There was one defining moment. And I know that people always want that. There may not be that for everyone, but the first prototype that I had made, it was in December of 2011. My wife knew what I was tinkering with and playing around with, and I had a seamstress make the first shirt for me. She took apart one of my shirts and copied it and then made one with this new fabric. And I left for my day job in a regular white shirt, and I went and picked the shirt up from the seamstress. And when I looked at it, I was like, ah, not sure. All right, I'll put it on. And when I put it on and looked at myself in the mirror, I thought, oh, my God, okay, this really could be (laughs) something. It it went from a what if to I'm seeing it in reality. And when I got home... I stood there in the doorway and I think our dogs had knocked something over and and my wife looked at me and was like, what are you doing? And I said, well, (laughs) come on. And she said, come on, what? Are you going to help me? And I said, Jen, what do you think? And she said, what do I think about what? The fact that you're not (laughs) helping me? And I, I, I said, all right, I'm wearing the prototype. And she jumped up and we just hugged each other and we were both so excited because if she didn't recognize that I wasn't wearing my regular right. you know, white shirt at work, 
then no one would. Um, that was definitely a long way from there until we could launch. But at that moment, it was, this is going to be a reality. I'm at least going to try one run of this and see what happens. Let's take another step back there. What causes you to even go to the seamstress and be like, okay, I got this idea. Can you just make me one of these just to see if this even works? Because again, it's, it's one thing that you could keep stewing it around in your own head. But what was it that caused you to finally be like, okay, let's just take one step and see what happens? Years of wondering of saying, I really feel like this could work, but not knowing. And so once I had gotten the bug in me through some friends and after working for a few years to say, man, I really think I want to try and do my own company. Then it was, all right, I've got this idea for this shirt. But if it was such a good idea, someone would have done it. And that just kept stewing. And I said, you know what? Just try and make one before you think it couldn't work. Make one, see for yourself rather than wondering, there are so many different types of synthetic fabrics from polos to compression shorts to pants to long sleeve shirts. I didn't know what a fabric could look like that you know would have these properties but still look like a traditional dress shirt. So it was, I think, weeks long, months long of, all right, I really should try this. Let, let me go back <laughs> on Google. And then it was, all right, I'm going to go find some fabric. And that was about a four-month process to find the fabric. Yeah, and, I was going to say, for someone like who's brand new into the fashion and manufacturing world, like I personally, I know squat about it, so I wouldn't even know where to begin to say, okay, I have an idea in my mind of what it looks like, but where do you even begin to actually make one, let alone a company? It was months of Googling. You can buy 10,000 dry-fit polos from China, uh, but to find raw fabric, like I said, these companies don't have websites or if they do, they're not SEO. You know, All of the Alibaba dry fit stuff will come up above that. And so it was calling trade manufacturing groups. It was calling chambers of commerce. It was trying to Google supply chains of major companies, even though they don't disclose those things. And so just a very long rabbit hole before I started to find a couple promising leads that led to more leads that led to more leads. And so I got fabric from probably six or seven different companies. And some of it was, okay, absolutely not. This won't work. This won't work. Oh, this might work. And then once I said, okay, I've got about 10 to 15 that I've got these swatches, like a two inch by two inch cut. Okay, this looks like it could work. Let's get a two yard cut. And then I'll drape it over my shoulders and see what does that look like. And so on and on and on and on. And then finally, okay, like I said, this really could work. So once I had this fabric that I felt like, okay, I could do something here, then it was, let's try and make a first prototype. Custom clothing manufacturers won't make a, a shirt for you out of your own fabric because fabric is part of the way they make their money. And yeah. I didn't want them to take my idea. So after a while of playing around, I thought, why don't I just hire a seamstress to make one for me? And she was awesome. She still helps me from time to time when I need some alterations or other things done. And yeah, that's been great. So we'll keep rocking with these new concepts. And now I actually know enough to be able to talk to manufacturers and find the right pieces of the puzzle along the way. Yeah, very cool. So you come home, your wife sees you, but doesn't see the new shirt there. You realize like, hey, I think we've got something there. What are your next steps from there? The next steps from there were, okay, now it's one thing to make one. It's a completely different thing to make a hundred. Yeah, exactly. So you need to work with a pattern maker to make the patterns to give to the cut and sew manufacturers to actually make your product. Then you need to follow that rabbit hole down as well to where you need to get enough fabric and enough component pieces 
to a cut and sew, but the cut and sew has to make sure that they approve the type of thing that you're doing. They have to make you one. And it's, I mean, it's funny, making one dress shirt costs about as much as making 50 because they have to shut down all of their machines. They have to just put yours on there. They can't have anything else on the line. And then one person has to go through each step to make you the shirt rather than one person doing 50 sleeves, one person doing 50 cuffs, one person doing 50 bodies. And so it's not a cheap process to get off the ground, let alone making your first 100, 500, 5,000. Just making that first one for them to approve, okay, your pattern works, okay, your grading works. So I had a medium, I needed to make a small, a large, and an extra large, and now we have a double X as well. And so it was kind of just process management of all right, I've got the fabric, I've got the buttons, I've got the tags, I've got all of these things. Now the manufacturer approves the process and the component pieces. All right, hit go. So the fabric takes about four to six weeks here in the U.S. to make, and then the cut and sew takes about four to six weeks as well. And so that first order came in beginning of July. We launched July 19th and had our grand opening party on July 26th. And whenever you are first, you print those or make those first 100, are you just selling those to individuals or did you go ahead and create the site and start selling your stuff online? Nope. So the site launched on July 19th. So worked on the photography, worked on the creative, worked on all of the things that you see on a site. That was happening in conjunction with getting ready for the product. And also while getting ready for the product, just before we moved into manufacturing because we had to make all those tags, while I'm figuring out the prototype and the pattern making and all those things, it was, okay, what is our company going to be? What's our name? What's our logo? Mm-hmm. What's our font? What's our color? All of those pieces of the puzzle. I had a friend of mine who worked with my wife's business partner at the time. He is a brilliant creative and wanted to get involved with the company. And so he helped with the name, the logo, the colors, all of those fundamental things that make a product more than a product. It, it makes it why people resonate so much with brands is really great branding. And uh, that's not a hat tip to me. That's a hat tip to the creative that I've been working with. He's, he's really done a phenomenal job in building that presence that goes beyond the product itself. Yeah. But one of the things I like about your story is you did that secondary, you know, which I think is so important because I think sometimes we almost put the cart before the horse where I've got a beautiful name and I've got a beautiful logo, but I haven't taken the step to actually make anything or even determine if this is something people would want. So I love the fact that you, you created one shirt as a prototype and then you created a hundred shirts and then you're like, okay, we've got a hundred shirts. What should we call this whole thing after all? You know, and I love that that's, I love that mentality and that approach. Like, we got to figure out if people will actually buy this before we start thinking about these other secondary things, which again, like you said, all that branding stuff is really, really important, but there's no point in having a business card if you don't have a business. So I like that you created something and like, okay, now let's figure out what the identity of this thing is, but we got to make the thing first. I couldn't agree more and, and obviously appreciate the nod there. It was definitely, you couldn't do one without the other. And at the same time, if you neglected one, there was no chance for the other. And so it was definitely a delicate dance to move along that path. What's the thought behind the name, Mizzen and Main? So the Main and the Mizzen are the first two masts on a three-masted warship. It's the Main, the Mizzen, and the Jib, but that was too long. And so it really... It's an homage to the classic East Coast lifestyle, whether, you sail, whether you've ever sailed or not. It's a beautiful, kind of inspiring, almost aspirational sport, uh, uh-huh. even though very few people actually do it as a sport. 
it's a lifestyle that almost anyone can relate to. Even if you don't ever actually want to get on a sailboat, you see a picture of a beautiful sailboat at full lean and into the wind and it's just breathtaking. And so that was a great imagery to kind of evoke with the name. Now, most people do not know what a main and a mizzen are. And as beautiful as the name is, it's very funny. The first time you try and say it to someone in a loud room or over the phone, sometimes you have to say it three or four times. <laughs> but when you see the name and you see the logo, it's instantly memorable. Uh, yeah. And it stands apart from anything I'd ever seen before. It, the first time when I was meeting with Stephen, our creative, and I saw it, it just absolutely leapt off the page to me. And then that nested M logo that he created is a mark that I felt like I would never have to change. Yeah, Almost like the Nike swoosh. It, I, I really felt like I could build an entire company around that mark. Whenever you are looking back to that, I guess even today, you know, and, and where you are in the business that you guys have built today, if you had known then what you know today, do you think you would have even started the business? Yeah, I would have done quite a few things differently, of course. One of the things I would have done is gone with smaller runs to start with, just to test it out a little bit more, just to get some feedback and get some feelers out there and see what was working and just leave it there and get it out there, get the feedback, iterate. I went with too many to start with because I felt like that's what I had to do. I will fully admit I expected to sell out within two weeks and that just doesn't happen. One of the greatest entrepreneurs I know, Damon John, he said, you know, even I can't just snap my fingers and move tremendous amount of merchandise immediately. It takes a little while to figure it out. Um, and so I, if you build it, they will come is not 100% true. In fact, it's not true at all. You right. really need to lay the groundwork and get going. And so that just was a distraction at first because it was like, oh, my God, I've got all this stuff. I got to figure out how to sell it, move through things. And I had invested everything I had into it. I would have I think slept a little easier and been able to iterate faster had I gone with slightly lower runs to start with, even though it would have been a higher cost. How long did it take you to sell those first hundred shirts? Uh, so we didn't go with a hundred to start with. We ended up going with a thousand to start with. You start with one and then you make about five to test everything out. And then opening order, it's, it's really hard to get manufacturing time on the first thousand, you know, on orders less than a couple thousand. And so I went with a thousand to start with. And it took us a long time to get through. It's, it's kind of one of those things you can sell the first bunch, but then the remaining pieces will just kind of continue to take a while. And when we introduced our second round of products, I ended up pulling some of those first ones off the site. And then we've donated some of them to charter schools and to some veterans groups that I really, we don't discount our product. It's something that I've dug my heels and, and planted my flag on. We don't do discounts. We don't do sales. The only thing we'll do is packages. So if you buy three shirts or five shirts, you get a little bit better of a price. Because once you go down that discounting road, there's no recovery from it. And if your first product, you get 20% off. Why, why do you as a first-time customer get 20% off when I've got this other guy who spent $5,000 with me over the last two and a half years? If anyone right. deserves 20% off, it's that guy. <laughs> right, right. But you don't do that. People just want to get those first customers in the door, but it pollutes your train of mind, your thought process around kind of what's valuable. And so in the notion of not discounting, we were only kind of six to eight months in, but I figured, all right, let's move forward with this next set of products. And so I started to pull some of those original ones off and, and ended up, as I said, donating some of them. And I felt really good about that. There's nothing wrong with giving a great product to some people who could really use it and appreciate it. And that's a much more comfortable way for me to approach it. Yeah. And I was reading online on your site that you guys have a program called A Shirt for a Start. Tell us more about that. 
Yeah. So our thought process is I don't want to start another nonprofit. There are plenty of nonprofits out there, but I want to have a way for us to give back. And so the kind of umbrella notion of Shirt First Start is to give back in a variety of ways to people who can most effectively serve those in need in terms of um, our servicemen and women that are returning and also to see what we can do as a company. So I speak with veterans groups on entrepreneurship and marketing and getting their businesses off the ground. We've hired one veteran so far. We have an internship program. We are just anytime that we can find some people who are looking to get some job training or experience and exposure, we'll bring them in and help teach them things about the business And so it's kind of starting in its infancy. I mean, we as a company are still in our infancy. So it's going to be exciting for us as we start to grow and expand to be able to give people some actual job training and exposure and experience and then kind of refer them into our networks. The best way to get a job is on a recommendation. And so I feel pretty good about being able to say, hey, and to use generic names, John or Jane did a great job for us in logistics. I think that they would be a really good person for your company. We can't hire anyone else in logistics right now. If we could, they would be the first person. Cool. And that to us was a, an exciting way to be able to give back on an ongoing basis. Along with we've got partnerships with the Navy SEAL Foundation, Travis Mannion Foundation, and 31 Heroes. We are the official shirt supplier for the Navy SEAL Foundation. And it's been a great relationship. Very cool. Let's wrap up with this. For if you were to go back a couple of years, for someone that may be listening that's in, that was in your spot where you were a few years ago and they're working for the VC company or they're working for the management consultant company or they're sitting in the proverbial cubicle land and they are just like, I've got this idea that is just eating at me. And the risk of going from the known to the unknown, you know, there's a million reasons why I shouldn't. But it's just, I feel like I got to try it, but, uh, you know, it could be a huge failure. So what would you say to them? What advice would you give even to your to them or to yourself from a few years ago while you're kicking around this idea that may or may not work? You know, I think ultimately you just got to get out there and try it in some capacity. Now, there are some things that are too difficult to, you know, just try, like just to absolutely dip your toe in the water. But there are a number of ways that you can just get started. Make 10 of something, make 20 of something. Or if you're you know, starting a services company, give your services away to a couple people and see what their feedback is, see what they like, see what they think. And once you have a little bit of feedback, see if people will actually pay you for what you're trying to sell, whether it's services, whether it's goods, whether it's whatever. If you can't convince your friends to buy your services or products, you're probably not going to convince strangers to do so. And there are so many people that are too afraid because they think it's an all or nothing commitment. Just dip your toe in the water. See what you can do. See what you can get started. And even if you don't have some grandiose idea, just do something or anything to create a product or a service that other people will give you their hard-earned dollars for. And it will forever change your perspective whether you're an entry-level employee mid-level, a manager, or uh, a VP of something, having someone give you their money for something that you have directly made or provided is a profound experience. And it will change how you view everything about business, people that work with you and for you. And it's a way that you can get started without having to commit your whole life to it. Yeah. I think that's just an overall great lesson from your story of, you know, today, even as we're talking, you're like, you know, you the, you have this vision to create this large scale clothing company and clothing brand and, you know, beyond just a little mom and pa shop that pays the bills, but something that you want to do on a really large scale. But none of that happens unless you create one shirt and you go home and fool your wife. You know, you 
have to just start somewhere. So long before you can create or manufacture a thousand shirts, you got to create just one just to see if it actually works. So uh, really, really like that from your story. Hey, uh, Kevin, if people are intrigued, I know uh, there's probably a lot of guys. I know myself, I'm intrigued right now. And I'm like, man, I gotta, I like those moisture wicking shirts. So where can we find out more about your company? Where can we learn more about your shirts and clothing? Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. So it's mizzenandmain.com and that's M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D-M-A-I-N.com. Beautiful. We will link up to that in the uh, in the show notes as well. So uh, Kevin, really appreciate the time. Enjoyed hearing your story and we will catch up with you later. Thank you very much, Grant. Appreciate it. All right. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Kevin Lavelle of Mizzen and Maine. You know, what a great story of how he sees a need. And then what did he do? One thing I didn't like about what he said is he sat on it for five or six years before trying it. And so don't be that person that's just like, you're pondering it, you're pondering it, you're pondering it. And he finally got to a point where he's like, I don't want to see that someone else had created this idea that I'd come up with. So finally decided that he took action. And I'm glad he finally took action and he didn't continue to sit on it. So maybe for you, what is it that you've been wrestling with that you've been sitting on for several years, this thing that you're just like, ah, maybe it's a new business, maybe it's an idea, maybe it's just a, a switch in career. What is that thing for you that you've been wrestling with for years and you know you need to take action with it? And, and so for him, the action wasn't like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and just start this clothing manufacturer overnight. It's, I'm going to start with one shirt. How do you create a clothing company? How do you create a clothing manufacturer? How do you create an an online brand for men's clothing and dresswear? You start with one freaking shirt. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't make it into something that it's not. Just start with one thing. Make the smallest possible thing. Try that and then then you can build from there, but you have to start with just one thing. So what is that one thing? What is that one thing for you that maybe in this new year, in 2015, you're going to take one small step, that idea that you've been chewing on, that you've been pondering, that you've been kicking around for years and years and years, what is the one next action you need to take? You don't have to have the whole plan. What is the one next action you need to take to move the ball forward, to begin to make progress towards that goal? I hope you take the time to consider that. I hope you take the time to make that one shirt or whatever that one thing may be for you. Hey, feel free to stop by grantbaldon.com slash Kevin Lavelle, L-A-V-E-L-L-E. That way you can get all the uh, show notes, links, everything that we discussed there. Again, stop by, check out mizzenandmain.com. I haven't got one, but they do sound like super comfortable shirts. I like the, I like stretchy, breathable material. And so I like the idea of what they're doing there. So uh, stop by, check that out again, mizzenandmain.com. Hey, as always, feel free to email me, grant grantbaldwin.com. Hit me up on Twitter, at Grant Baldwin. Anything I can do to help you, support you uh, as you wrap up uh, 2014 and we head into 2015. If you haven't already, too, I would encourage you, what are you going to do differently in 2015? How are you going to make 2015 better than 2014? Sit down and write out your goals. Don't just ponder them. Don't just kick around and make them, you know, one acronym I hear a lot and one acronym we use is uh, SMART. Your goals should be smart, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. Specific. Make sure they are as specific as possible. Don't say, my goal in 2015 is to be happier. That's cute. That's adorable. But how are you going to measure that? Make sure it's specific. Make sure it's measurable. Make sure you can quantify it. Make sure it's attainable. You know, if you say, you know, next year I want to run a marathon. Okay, that's great. It's another thing to say, like, I want to run the Boston Marathon and win. Okay, 
Good luck with that, all right? You're probably not going to do. So make sure it's specific. Make sure it's measurable. Make sure it's attainable. Make sure it's relevant. Make sure it fits to you and what it is that you're trying to do with your life. And make sure there's a deadline on it. Don't make this goal of, you know, well, someday I want to do this. Someday I want to change. Someday I want to find work I love. No, no, no. Put a deadline on it. By April 1st this year, I'm going to accomplish what? Fill in the blank. Make sure that it's specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. All right. I think that wraps up this episode, boys and girls. You got some work to do now. Be working on uh, your goals for 2015. Make sure that it's a, uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal new year. In fact, do this. Would you email me? I'm just curious. What are your goals for 2015? What can I do to help you and support you with your goals? Feel free to email me. I'd love to hear from you, and I would like to know how I can help you on your, your journey there. All right. That wraps it up. Carry on, boys and girls. You're awesome. Peace. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.